Welcome to Thursday's edition of Leading to Sales. Believe it or not, we are already almost through the month of May, heading into what could be a wild summer this summer. But my name is Brett and I am your host like I am for every episode. And thank you for tuning in today. I am beside myself excited today for our special guest um, because and we're going to dive into a lot of different things today that I think can absolutely just change the bedrock of how you're doing things as a business today because we all know that everything has shifted. You've heard terms like the new normal or whatever you want to call it. I mean, it's going to change next week, so it doesn't matter what you call it. But so we have Angela Myers coming to join us today. And, and let me just tell you a little bit about Angela, because the power of what she's going to bring to you right now is going to knock your socks off. OK, um, so she has been listed as one of IBM's top 20 global influencers. She's been named by For named by Forbes as one of the top five educational leaders to watch. She's among, among Huffington Post's top 100 social media influencers. But see, that's not that's cool. Those are all like stats that are awesome. But to me, the reason that I'm excited is because Angela founded the global movement that is known as Choose to Matter. Um, and it was all based off of a TED Talk that she gave um, that we'll make sure to link up in all the show comments and all of that. But she, the You Matter movement is enormous um, because what, what it teaches is something that I think that is just absolutely critical for all of us. And we're going to go into all of it. I'm not going to, to just sit and walk through all of it. She's the author of books like Classroom Habitudes, um, Genius Matters. And, you know, yes, we are all business leaders on here. I know this. And we're not talking about elementary education today with Angela. Okay. You're going to, we're going to get a master class here and you're going to find out why I am so excited to have Angela on. So we're going to be right back with Angela and I both right after this. Welcome to the Leading to Sales podcast. Every week, we're bringing you leadership, sales, and marketing strategies to help you move your business forward. Here's our host, internationally known sales and marketing leader, Brett Williams. Welcome, Angela. Thank you so much for joining us today. What an amazing introduction, Brett. No bar, like nothing to be nervous about, right? <laughs> it's all good. Hey, this is this yes. is always just a conversation. So <laughs> no, honestly, it, it is truly an honor with um, you know, what I view, and, and obviously I'm an outsider, what I view is your mission and purpose. Uh -huh. It is truly an honor to have you on here because um between your knowledge and your purpose. <laughs> I can't imagine having a better guest on for for our, oh, for our like, listeners. Bless you. Thank you so much. So you you are positioned in a very unique way. Um, <laughs> you've got a very unique background that uh, I would say that not a lot of people have. So before we launch into um, so many different areas that we could address right now, tell me a little bit about yourself and and how you've gotten to the to where you're at now. Yeah, absolutely. My back, I, it is unique. That's a great way to put it. My background is actually neuroscience and linguistics. So passionate about studying human beings at the molecular level, like how we think, how we operate, how what we do, um, what we say shapes what we are able to do. And I am very passionate about that, but my deep heart desire was to be an educator. So I quit med school and went back to school to be a teacher and started this beautiful 33 year career um, as a kindergarten teacher. And I taught every grade level from literally preschool to graduate school and everything in between. And it just makes me more hopeful to know 
that we have generations, literally generations of scholars and dreamers and thinkers and doers that the world doesn't even know exists yet. And yeah. it's it. I know there's a lot of hopelessness in the world, but when you see the world through the eyes of children, um, there's no way you can feel anything but hope and excitement and possibility. That's so true. It's, I've got a four-year-old and a two-year-old or an almost four and almost two-year-old. And no, it's like every day is a new adventure. <laughs> every day is a new adventure and they wake up. And so your job as a parent and everyone's job as a teacher and a model is to keep that soul and spirit of that four-year-old and two-year-old all the way through adulthood. Because those foundational principles that make us beautiful humans don't change as technology changes. Yes, <laughs> so that's and... something that is, is not necessarily talked about because we talk about the rate in which technology changes, but the rate in which humans change is very slow. Meaning the things that humans need have been the things that humans have always needed every day from the time they were born till now. That's so true. And it's, you know, it's, it's fascinating to me. And this is kind of, I guess you could say a personal side note. I think one of the most impactful teachers that I had in school, it actually was in high school, was someone who got to the point of their residency through med school mm. and then just said, no, I'm yep. not. And then decided that he wanted to come back and make a difference at, at the, you know, post-secondary level. So it's, I, I have so much respect for that because it's, it's a big step, but you know, I, I love this term that you've, that you've created, or I don't know if you've created or if you're, or if you're just using it, but it's called I'm humanology. So many, yes, I make, that's a new word I made up during the pandemic. Okay. So okay. I can't find the word because words matter. I make them up. So I love it. I love I it. <laughs> Proclaim myself. I don't think this word exists. I don't know if it does. Um, but I feel like I'm a humanologist because I have taken the study and the core research principles of every ology that you can think of, neurology, physiology, biology, sociology, anthropology, and put them together into a lens that helps me understand contextually how humans behave, how systems behave, how do we move forward initiatives, what stops them, what um, can ignite them again. And it, it really does take a deep lens through all those disciplines to understand what we can do, not only to support human beings currently, but how to help support them and scaffold them into thriving in the future, especially when that future is unknown. Yeah. And I think, you know, one of the things that I've seen, especially in, in the past 18 months yeah, is that business leaders as a whole, you know, obviously everyone was sideswiped by the pandemic. Nobody, you know, nobody was, was right. preparing yeah. for this. That's this right. Nobody's six, <laughs> six month business plan. Right. Right. <laughs> and so, you know, it, what I've seen more than anything is this, I guess you could say it's almost a, an internal state of confusion. Mm -hmm. Um, and we're dealing with, okay, well now we're all going to have to go to technology. Yes. We're going to have to use technology, but we're, we're having to find this balance of realizing the human aspect. That's right. That just kind of came naturally to us before. Like we didn't have to, you know, I guess somewhat naturally, <laughs> like when we're in an office and we're interacting with one another, there's, there's a relational aspect and it's That's just, right. it's a necessity. So I would love for you to just kind of unpack a little bit of what you've seen mm -hmm. in the past 18 months that of 
how maybe some people that have been successful, maybe some some people that haven't in really addressing this humanology yep. of this this forced technological revolution. So I love that question and everything. This has been like, I feel like I've gotten a PhD in this over the last year and a half of studying what the impact is on human behavior when we've had to pivot so, so quickly in as a way to cope. We weren't doing it from a design perspective or an experience perspective. We were doing it to cope. Like we just did it. We just turned on the computer and thought human beings would show up. And that is not the case. So what we have realized in the pandemic, not just with technology, but in general, is how vulnerable we are as human beings. And what I mean by that is we, what has been revealed to us is things that we may have taken for granted or may not have looked at as intently um, because they were taken care of, as you said, in the environment, things that are as simple as eye contact or something really unusual in the research I've been reading about is seeing people's hands. Seeing only one third of your body actually does something to, to the way that the brain processes. Yeah. So things like being seen and being heard and fe feeling valued when we can't walk by a neighbor at our cubicle and pat them on the back or say, how was your day? Those small micro human interactions actually played a much larger role in our life, in our happiness, in our satisfaction than we had thought. Because so much of the work online has been about the work and has been about yeah. like making up time or saving space or being efficient and that the human stuff would take care of itself, but it didn't. We yeah. actually have to be more intentional about leading human and designing human and putting human at the forefront, connection before content, community yeah. before conversation, you know, before yeah. um, the work of the business. And that's a really hard shift because it, it kind of defies logic that our humanness would just transfer. And, and it didn't, it didn't yeah. transfer at the scale that we needed it to. So let's, because I know we have so yeah. many leaders on here and, and, you know, depending on the industry you're in, your degree of virtualness yeah. pre-pandemic varied yeah. greatly. <laughs> and so I know there are a lot of people that we have that tune in that are leaders in what I'll call more traditional yeah. industries. And we have a lot that are more forward thinking. And what are things that you are seeing from, I guess you can say from a more tactical level yeah. that leaders or organizations are doing culturally to really integrate this human connection in an intentional way? It is about hiring or making space for design architecture. <laughs> like we are architects of time and architects of experience where, so I'll just give an example, like in my world as a speaker, the business of speaking, what I have taken for granted, I've appreciated, but truly have a new level and depth of understanding is when I walked on the stage, so much was done for me in terms of human variables that mattered, how the lights were, how the how the um, the ballroom was shaped, the level in which the stage allowed you to be with somebody, the lighting on the stage, the smell of the food and the atmosphere, the music that was played before I went on or during the breaks, the intro to getting me to the stage. So there's a million variables that play a significant re a significant role yeah. in the totality of an experience 
with an idea or with a person. When you go to virtual, you are responsible for the totality of the experience. Yeah. So everything that was kind of taken taken off your plate so that you could focus on your content, you could focus on what you were training. In my virtual events or in my virtual experiences, what I'm actually gonna say at the end is almost the last of what I think about. I am thinking about everything from background to lighting, to music, to do we need transition if we have a panel? There is, a, it, it's a million different decisions. Yeah. And the organizations that have not only embraced that this is not only happening, but there is amazing things possible if we push the boundaries of these platforms. I yeah. am stunned that I'll, I'll invite, I had a session a few weeks ago with a thousand leaders and I onboarded and said like, how comfortable are you with Zoom? And I was gonna demonstrate to them the power of organized breakout rooms and self-organized breakout rooms and then brainstorm the process of both. And when I got on and I did the first engagement sort of connection activity, what I learned very quickly is they'd never been in a breakout room. As leaders of organizations, they'd never even had the experience of small group, let alone running it, let alone defining it. So if we look at, there's an experience gap now, there's not a technology gap, there's an experience gap. And if you have not experienced through these mediums and through these platforms, truly human magnificent um, moments, then it is going to be very difficult for you to create or to demand miraculous, beautiful human moments. Yeah. It's something you have to, you can't like phone it in. You can't read it in a manual. You have to experience what it means to be vulnerable, what intimacy looks like, what courage you have to have to stand up and step up with an yeah. entirely different flow and an entirely different expectation on who's the teacher, who's the learner, who's the leader, who's it's, it's all turned around, but that's not a bad thing. It's an extraordinary thing, but yeah. you have to experience it. I love that. I love, so I'm going to tap on your, on your background and expertise on yeah. this some, because I'm wondering how has this impacted, you know, and I'm not so much talking about the traditional educational model, yeah. But when we're thinking when we're thinking through adult learning and we're thinking about training um, yeah. our teams or training other other experts or things like that, how has this virtual environment impacted that? And and other than shaping the experience, how can we make sure that we're being as effective as possible when we're working towards teaching concepts or ideas? So I'm going to preface this by saying this is not a um, complaint or a dig against any school leader or any school, because coming from the inside, I understand what it would feel like to have to change everything overnight and yeah. to manage not only your own personal like transition and disruption, but the transition and disruption of all your kids, all their families, the community. Yeah. So it was an unprecedented expectation, which happened almost solely without training. And by yeah. training, I don't mean, here's how to turn on Zoom and here's how to open the camera. I don't mean logistical training. I no. mean, experience design training. Yes. The industries in, in my experience over the last year that were far ahead were the industries where 
customer experience and hospitality and service were a priority already in that industry. Meaning it was the hospitality industry, it was the event industry, it was the customer experience industry that pushed the boundaries furthest. And when education sees itself as a content industry and not a human experience industry, that is exactly what the pivot was. How do we get our content online delivered to the kids, whether they liked it or whether it was good or not? And I will say that it's hard for anyone on this end because I've been in virtual learning, blended learning since 1990. And felt confident and comfortable on every platform, you know, starting with Blackboard to Nings to all the way from the beginning, I have been there and an evangelist. And yet what I have learned and how much I have grown and how much I understand about what it takes to design a remarkable experience has been PhD level. I'm not kidding. I feel like I have been schooled by... uh, like the college of hard knocks, if you will, because this isn't about like, how do I get my slides loaded? And how do I, this is literally how to think about the, I said experience like a million times, but how to think about the totality of the experience. Yeah, That is not a place we have had to be. It's not just a place we're not, but we haven't yeah. had to be there because our experience as human beings is so impacted by third party ambient forces from is the sun shining outside? Do I get to see my best friend at work? Did I get a hug from a colleague that I hadn't have? Is there fun music playing in the background? Did I hear? So all of that is taken away. And never were these platforms meant to be the sole keeper of our entire existence. Yes, And that is what has changed is we don't have this here's work and here's our life. We are operating, we are seeing family, we're seeing friends, we're seeing our doctors, we're seeing um, anybody possible that would have been in this realm outside. And it all has to be done on a a screen that big. Yes, that's that's tough. Yeah. For humanity. It really is. And that's one of the things, you know, that one of the most intelligent women that I know, my wife, she's apparently (laughs) tuning in today. one of the things that she's asking here, I think this is a really good point, especially as we're going yeah. into this new, you know, whatever the next phase is, yeah. is so we've, we're, we're balancing this. We're having this balancing act right now of the human aspect of how do we do human virtually? That's right. <laughs> which, is, yeah. which is just comical. That's exactly and, no. Isn't that right? How do we, yeah. how do we do human right? So that's yeah. the name of one of my talks. How do we get human right? Like <laughs> yeah. That's with getting the technology right. So let's answer that question first. How did we get human right? And so this is Anne, Anna is in the, I don't know if she's coming from Facebook, but she has yeah. a beautiful question about that. So I, I can speak to that. Are you finished your thought, Brett? Yeah, no, I was just, I was gonna say, how do we, as we're, we're just now kind of getting our proverbial feet yeah. underneath us with the virtual world of how do we do human virtually? Yep. And now we're starting to back into this. Okay, well now we're, we're potentially gonna go back into the office occasionally, or we're gonna have this office yeah. environment but it's not the same office environment no. that we left. No, it is not. <laughs> so walk us through that. Walk us through some of that. Absolutely. I know you had, there are a couple of things there. Absolutely. So remember, even if the environment and the world and technology changes dramatically, human beings don't. Our essential needs are still the same. 
We need yeah. food, we need water, we need shelter, we need air, right? That doesn't change regardless of what's happening around us. So as a condition of being human, we need to be seen, we need to feel and know we are heard, we need to be valued and understand that value, and we need to recognize that we are essential. We need to feel like we are essential. That is as important as food, water, shelter, and air. And we must position it as such, which means if I'm doing any event, I'm not just talking about who's the speakers at the event, what's the content of the event. I'm talking about what's the lunch menu? What would they like? What are their needs? Do I have water all throughout the experience? Do I have water bottles out front? When are we going to take a bathroom break? When are we? Because we are orchestrating around our essential needs, knowing that if we did not provide food, if we did not give water, if we, the human beings in the room, no matter how extraordinary the content was, you could have Barnum and Bailey's three ring circus at the front, but what your brain is telling you when you're hungry, when you're cold, when any essential need is out of whack, you are not going to be able to attend, participate and function. So now position that same like unequivocal, unequivocal, like this is not going to happen. Same thing. And this is offline as well as online, but I think it's more um, revealed online. People need to feel seen. People need to feel heard. People need to feel valued and their time valued. And people need to know that they have a contribution to make, that they can be essential to the conversation, to the outcome, to whatever. And that's the power of these platforms. I can do that more explicitly. I can do that more seamlessly. And I can do that more at scale virtually than I can face-to-face, even if I'm speaking to an auditorium of 20,000 people. And I'll, I'll just give you a small example because I think if you can envision the experience. So I just had an experience on a platform that I won't name because I don't love it because it sets up this passive relationship. Like the smartest person in the room is the person at the front of the room and you guys just sit back. And what it does is it ignites passivity in us. Like we're just going to sit back and not only are we going to expect to be filled, but we're going to demand that we're entertained and that what is filling us with no expectation of any responsibility on our part. Well, experience is shared and learning is shared. So immediately from the get-go, the smartest person in the room online in any room that I'm in is the room, which means they have a role in this. They have an expectation. They have a role. Not only do I value them, but I need them. And I set that up right away in the beginning so that I recognize and am able to articulate, I see you. I feel you. I understand. So this is just a simple technique because I had like 1500 people in the webinar. And so clearly you can't put them all on, like, I'm not Tony Robbins. You can't put them all in like (laughs) a gallery view. So I said, I want you to think of a word. I put like an image up and I said, a word that you're thinking and feeling right now. And I want you to hold it inside. And when I count down, we're all going to hit the send button in the chat room. And I call this a word fall. Uh And it was so spectacular, like the feeling of excitement. So we hit go at the same time. And in the chat, all these words started falling. And they were words about orienting. Not only could I see you in the audience, but I know a little bit about how you're feeling. All of a sudden, 
this static place has energy. It has amazing energy. So then my next thing was find someone in the room that you resonated with their feeling and just write, write a hello or write a comment like Brett, I'm excited too. Or Brett, I'm a little nervous or Brett, whatever. Use their name, acknowledge their feeling and respond to them. And even though not, I'm sure like 1200 people didn't get 1200 responses. There was this immediate sense within a matter of seconds, this sense of community, this sense of shared purpose, this sense of we're here for every single one of us to succeed because every single one of us would probably be rather doing any other thing than sitting on a a webinar for an hour. I don't care who the speaker is. So getting people recognized, acknowledged, valued, and seen is not just a nicety. That's not a cute little activity that I planned that I hoped people would walk away feeling that. They felt that from the second that I interacted with them all the way to the end. And that's what made the webinar spectacular. I could do literally word for word the exact same thing and put everything I was saying on a PowerPoint, take my face away, take their face away, tuck the chat in, tuck the breakout rooms in and recite the exact same message. And if you got the, um, what do you call that? When they reply and give you feedback, if you got the feedback, webinar A and B, you would have thought I was a completely different speaker. What I did is I architect, I designed the human experience based on not what I want my audience to know, because quite frankly, if they want to know something about me, they can Google it. Like I'll put it out there. There, I'm not hiding what I think and what I know. What they care about is how they're going to feel. Yes. What is in it for me? Do I matter to you? And if you can answer those two questions, boom, boom, you're successful. No matter what content, no matter what audience, what is in it for me? And do I matter to you? And if you can hit that and be direct about that, then there is no bounds of what a virtual audience will go, where they'll go with you. And it's been incredibly exciting to go with them and take them there and explore it. And if you screw up, which happens always, technology always fails, always, especially the bigger the event. What people want is presence. They want authentic human presence. They don't care about perfection. They don't care about perfect slides. They don't care about perfect music. I'm not saying that visuals and audio don't matter, but at the end of the day, what I have like learned, it's been so freeing, is I've actually scaled back on everything. I don't use any slides when I'm doing virtual. I don't use any, it is just me and the audience. And taken away every barrier that could be between me, who I am, what I think, how I feel, the honor that I want to extend that they're there and listening and how hard that is. And it has been remarkable, even different than the energy of being on stage and being in an audience surrounded by people that that usually brought me energy. And I was worried that I wasn't going to find my way without that human energy. You can get it if you design for it online. So when you're thinking about designing these experiences, cause yeah. I'm thinking about, you know, the, the overall environment that we're going to have as we're kind of moving yeah. forward back to the office and things yeah. like that. How do you 
think about designing these experiences when fear is a very real factor that everyone's going to be facing because I know that's a, I mean, you know, and I've studied it some degree, nowhere near as much as you have, but I know that that presents a very different neurochemical environment in someone's brain. Totally. So how do you think through that and, and overcome that? Yeah. First of all, acknowledging it. And I think, um, and this is like from being a kindergarten teacher all the way up. If you're going to do something for people, involve them first. So I think that's one of the biggest, I'm sorry, the biggest things that happened online is that we were setting all these structures up for our remote workers, for our remote staff. And we didn't ask them first. We just did it. You're going to be on Zoom and you're going to log on and you can work from home. And you, so what does that mean to you? What could it look like? So I'm not going to make a decision that is life-changing, work-changing, that yeah. has the potential to affect every aspect of their job, of their, um, oh, good morning from the Philippines. Yeah. To, to affect every aspect without involving them. And that doesn't mean you have to, you know, that's why we have technology. We can do a survey with them. We can, there's an app that I use all the time called Merimeter that uh-huh. you can do a survey and get a word bubble and show in five seconds what 5,000 people think about, do you think this is a good idea? And yet we make decisions on behalf of people without input from people. And that's what I mean by contribution and essentialness. Not only do people want to share their views, they want to share their potential solutions because it is in our DNA to be helpful and useful and essential to other people. That's the very thing that keeps us going and alive. Let, Let your community because what you're showing to them is not only do I value your opinion, do I care about you? I trust you. I yeah. trust you to figure this out for us, for something yeah. bigger, not just for you, but for us as a company, yeah. as an organization. That's incredible. Now that's. I, I want to briefly, you know, we're, we're right here over the half hour mark. And we're probably, <laughs> probably going to go a little bit long because I'm excited to have Angel on here. So buckle in. <laughs> Um, but one of the things that I want to briefly kind of delve into, because I I think this is so crucial for the overall work culture, the organizational cultures that people are building right now across the, the board is you, you're, you're starting or founding of this choose to matter movement. And you, you've hit on it a lot. I mean, there's obvious, this is in your DNA, but Talk to us about, um, you know, especially from a corporate leadership perspective, um, really creating a culture of yeah. choosing to matter and choosing to to communicate that other people matter and what absolutely. that looks like. And maybe some, you know, some small first steps people yeah, can take to do absolutely. that. Absolutely. First of all, you hit it on the nail by this is a culture issue. It's a leadership issue. Yeah. Mattering is not an event. It's not an activity. It's not employee of the month on Friday or like Friday appreciation or employee of the month. This is every person every day. I'm going to say it again. Every (laughs) person every day is asking that singular question. Do I matter to you? And we have a choice as individuals, as brands, as organizations to make them assume that they do or to be explicit and direct and intentional about letting them know unequivocally that they do. And brands that do that are the brands that are not only thriving, but are iconic. 
They are the Disney's. They are the Zappos. They are the same brands that you talk about. They are the Apple's. But if you really dig down into their ethos, which they share boldly and wildly, they don't hide their yeah. secrets. Um, they talk about bringing in neuroscience and neurologists. There's a, a term that we use in neuroscience called hijacking the amygdala, which means that through every means possible, that means everything that could be um, manipulated from the color of the walls to the way the light shines, to the ambiance of the music in there, to how you're going to position the chairs, every single detail down to the minuscule element that you would never even think mattered, matters. Yes. And so that is, that is understanding mattering from a cultural perspective, because you're honoring the experience at a human level. And recognizing that experiences are processed by the brain in their totality. So if I were to give a piece of advice, there's a framework that I use called 252. And it's based on this neuroscience of what's, what we call primacy and recency. Meaning in all the moments that we exist with each other and that we exist in the world, there are very peak moments that if you attend to, will make a profound difference in the way that we will not only process, but how we will forever remember and experience. So if I said to you, did you ever go to Disney World? And oh, you yeah. said, yes. And so I said, well, how was the experience? How was it? You, it was incredible. It was incredible. <laughs> yeah. But even if it was the day after, or even that night, if I said to you, what happened at 1037? You would be like, what are you talking about? <laughs> because you don't remember, because yeah. your brain like pruned that out. Your brain said, that doesn't matter. The middle doesn't matter. It is the peak moments <clears throat> from the moment you entered the Magic Kingdom to the moment you left. Those are the most important peak moments. So what that means in a non-Disney World setting <laughs> to make magic with another human being at an individual or an entire culture level is you think absolutely fiercely about how you meet people and how they are greeted and how you leave people. And something as simple as smiling at them, saying their name, remembering their name, being conscious of your voice and even your facial expressions. There are entire industries that train individuals that work. Um, I know Zappos does this, that work in customer service, customer experience over the phone to sound like they are smiling. You can tell even in voice, like think about Clubhouse, the way you sound absolutely affects your experience and how others experience. But we don't take time to think about like, are we smiling at people? How do we sound to other people? What is the first first level of our greeting is the first time a customer talks to us behind like a counter. Is there a way that we can come, come in front of the counter or make the counter not as, you know, prison like so <laughs> that you are over there and we are over here and individuals and industries that have thought about the little things have sweated the little things. It is paid off in dividends, paid off in dividends. And one new piece of research that just I just found out yesterday, I was doing this event with IBM and they were one of the companies presenting. AstraZeneca was another company and they revealed post pandemic what they were going to do to be more human, to focus on human, like 
intently, explicitly. I'm sure this cost a bazillion dollars, but it's what we did as kindergarten teachers. There's a, a, a class chart of all the humans in your organization, even if it's a hundred thousand of them. And what it is marking is making managers and peers conscious of interacting with each other. And what they found is any interaction, any interaction that was personal, it didn't need to be related to work. But if there were touch points during the day that were personal, respectful, and filled with gratitude, basically, if you showed another person in your presence that they mattered in any way, especially non-work related, productivity went up five times. And I think that's really important, building in time virtually for people to, to come together in non-work situations. I think of the simple platform of why Clubhouse is so transformative from a humanology perspective. It is because people can pop in and pop out and have micro interactions or build deep relationships, but they are trusted to do so. They're not marked on the calendar. Like you went into this room and you studied this content and you took the test in here and it's not this controlled content environment that we get more from humans. We get more learning, we get more uh, like likeliness, we get more productivity, and we get more of them. Yeah. If we trust them and we let them know that they matter. Yeah. And that wow. should cost a billion dollars. So I'm gonna call AstraZeneca and say, I can do it cheaper. I, <laughs> <laughs> I love it, I love it. I think you should, I think you should. Yes, yes. Um, well, you've got, you've given us a lot and I, we could, we could, I could honestly roll for probably the next hour, <laughs> but I want to make sure I'm respectful of your time. Um, as people are leaving, tell us, you know, how people can reach out to you, how they can begin to interact with you. Um, and then if they were looking for people to bring into their organization to help get this humanology in practice, how do they get in touch with you? Just go to AngelaMyers.com. It's all on my website. I'm on every social platform except Pinterest. And now with hesitation, I'm on Instagram, not because I want to be, but I have to be because of Clubhouse. And I do all my own social media so that it is, it's funny because when I message people, I people are like, is that, is that really you? I'm like, yes, it's me. Who should it be? It's me. <laughs> so in any way, and if for some reason you forget my name, cause the last name spelled, just type in you matter, Angela, and you literally will get to all of this. So <laughs> well, thank you so much for sharing yeah. today. Um, for those of you who are tuning in via the podcast, we'll make sure to put both the link to um, Angela's Ted talk which is phenomenal, <laughs> as well as her website in all of the show notes and all of the comments. Um, but make sure to check out Angela's stuff, angelamyers.com. I've got it scrolling across the bottom of the screen, screen, screen right now. <laughs> and um, with that, Angela, if you'll hang out for just a second, I'll go yeah. ahead and close this out. But yes. thank you Bye, so everybody. much for coming on. You matter. Goodbye. <laughs> thank you so much. Yes. Um, guys, you heard it here. You matter. And that's the reality of it. And so above and beyond anything else, yes, we are so grateful that Angela came on to share with us today, but we would not be able to do or would not have, have the desire to do this show without you, without you tuning in and continuing to interact and engage. And I hope you realize above and beyond anything else, not to get too touchy-feely here at the end, because that's not normally who I am, but you do matter. You matter in the, in the place that you're working. You matter in your family. You matter in your community. 
and your decisions every day to be an active part in that are going to make the biggest difference. So with that, we will be back live again on Monday. That will, believe it or not, be the second to last Monday of May in 2021. We'll be back at 2 p.m. Eastern live again across all of these channels. Um, and we will be live with none other than Dr. Phil Agrios. He is a human performance coach and he has coached some of the most big names that you'll ever hear. We'll talk more about Dr. Agrios on Monday. But with that, I am just here to keep reminding you that as you're going about your days, that you either want to give value or don't even bother.